Uh, you know, one of the real um, uh, one of the real um, benefits I get from the position I'm in, having lived here now and um, and uh, had these classes and gatherings for over a decade, is uh, I get to see uh, the fruit of your work. Sometimes you don't see it. But uh, sometimes it's more apparent uh, to an outside objective eye. And uh, it's just, it's beautiful to see uh, when there's sincerity, how that sincerity uh, blossoms forth. Uh, And if we take uh, the sense of your individuation out of it, it's really the evolution of consciousness, evolution of awareness, um, coming out of uh, a strict and limited definition. Uh, and the process uh, has its moments of terror, has its moments of argument and reactivity, uh, but it is inevitable that this consciousness, uh, this awareness will evolve out of its specifics, out of its fixation. And that's what's happening. That's happening to every one of us here in the room. It's happening slowly to some and more quickly to others. But it's important to remember that speed is not the point. Speed is not the point. Now, that shouldn't be um, a call for indulgence. Because um, life circumstances being what they are, often don't permit the same ability for some people as others to Uh, involve themselves as sincerely as their heart wishes, given family, job, or economic situations. And there has to be a certain, uh, as I've mentioned before, a certain amount of leisure time in each of our our lives to um, allow for this uh, growth and evolution to occur. If we're busy all the time just trying to survive, as the people now in the coastal areas of much of Asia, there really isn't uh, an opportunity to allow that evolution to unfold. But it is happening here, and it is happening to those who uh, are uh, persistent and willing uh, to um, involve themselves in very difficult, with very difficult questions over time. And that's one of the reasons we have gathered here, We gather not as individuals seeking our own salvation, but as a community, the spirit of the community, to ask those questions, to bring those questions forth, not only to ourselves, but to each other. And tonight I want to talk about uh, the triple gem, as the Buddha talked about. The triple gem is um, the, the refuges, the refuge that we take in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And it, you know how we take refuges and what we get out of it really has to do with two things. One, the intentionality to which we intone those refuges. And um, I love doing the first weekend that I'm back, I mean the first Tuesday that I'm back, the precepts and refuges, because it's a kind of um, opportunity somewhat akin to taking New Year's resolutions to re um, to, to reflect and to uh, reinvest 
our intentions for this year and hopefully um, beyond this year for our whole life. So the intentionality of how we want to use our life. Uh, Believe me, um, we can squander the time. And what you will end up with is um, yourself dying, wishing or perhaps regretting the way you have pursued and used your time. Uh, And I think that it's helpful because I have lived so closely with people who have gone through that uh, difficult reflection to again and again bring forth the utility of intentionality in our life. To really be willing to, to take a stand with our intentionality. It doesn't mean, like a New Year's resolution means, that if you falter, you failed. Not at all. That's not what the point of an intentional life is. You're going to fail. You're going to falter. You're going to mis- make mistakes and you're going to forget all about it. But if the deepest heart yearning is there for you, and if you um, verbalize it internally to yourself, and if you remind yourself from time to time of the direction you want your life to take, then you'll have minor excursions into other realms, but you'll keep coming back to the corridor of that meaning. So I hope tonight, perhaps more than anything we do, you reassert, if you haven't done it already, you assert that intentionality in your life. Perhaps it's an intentionality uh, towards uh, opening, a continued, a continued open response to life, a continued growth, um, and not a resting at any level of growth, not uh, asserting any fixed response to life whatsoever. Or perhaps it's, a, a, perhaps it's a, uh, an intentionality of the heart. I want to know what true kindness is. True kindness. True affection. True caring. You see, when we take refuge in the Buddha, one way of framing it is um, taking refuge in the uh, historical human being. But... um, And depending upon the understanding that we have, we're going to take different levels of refuges within those levels of consciousness. And we can come here and we can, you know, look to the Buddha for salvation. Uh, And that's very much like many of us began our lives looking towards Christianity or perhaps in Judaism, I don't know. And that's um, paramount to uh, prayer. That's one level of response that we can do and it provides some sense of confidence and some sense of stability of mind that this person, this, um, at that level of response, God, uh, walked upon the face of the earth and pointed to me as being uh, of similar potential. Well, that's nice, but it doesn't do anything. It just makes us feel nice. It makes us feel rather safe. And that at some point we can rev this thing up and access our potential. But the actual revving up of the potential is really what is called upon to awaken this evolution of spirit. 
We can't rest on the satisfaction of the contentment that others have done it. Or that some man did it 2,500 years ago. It calls a deeper response to us. You know, when we take refuge in the Buddha, uh, one of the um, higher levels of, of taking uh, that refuge is in uh, accessing our own potential. That's true. But that seems so remote to me. I never really liked that so well. Where is this potential? How do I even know it's here? Am I just waiting around for it to show itself? Where is this thing? I want some proof now. Okay. This then comes back to the intentionality of our life. If the intentionality of our life is to pursue the threads of awareness, to pursue the avenue of affection and caring and kindness, then those are the threads of the potential. And we can see them being nurtured right in front of our eyes. The Buddha is here in our ability to be aware, to be alert, to be, um, to be present. The Buddha is here in our ability to have open-hearted affection, warmth of heart. Those are the threads of Buddhahood. We just have to pursue those threads, line them up with intentionality, with reinforced um, urgency. Wherever they may lead us, and they'll lead us right crashing into fixation, to our individuation, to our selfishness, to our neediness, to our desires and fears. That's where those threads will take us. But to line them up, that's taking refuge in the Buddha with that intentionality. Okay, I know that in me. I have the willingness, the ability to be awake, to be present, to be of presence. That's not something remote. That's not something distant. That's not something in Sutta 564 of the Majjhimanakai. That's here. That's now. That's in our ability to hold a cup of tea, to say hello to our neighbor, to feel for the desperate lives of millions of people in Asia. I love the outpouring that that's occurred because that's, that's the Buddha outpouring for itself. And the citizens of this country are much more attuned to that than the government. Great. So we'll teach the government how to act. You see the heart. You mean, so I was on uh, the retreat with Narayan, who's a very good friend, and will be teaching up here with me in June. We were teaching together at IMS, and we were sitting back, you know, when we were sort of on our own, just talking about. And both she and I wanted to go off to Asia. Giving money wasn't enough. We were making. I was trying to figure out how I could do it. You know, take a month, and it just wasn't possible for her, but for me. But she's well on her way. She may not, you know, she's called and found out a place, you know, she's, it's that urgency of the heart that you just want, you want to respond, you know. What is responding there? See, we're not doing that um, 
only, I don't mean that it doesn't have a, um, that it doesn't get confiscated by the ego. It does. Everything get com- gets confiscated by that, but that's fine. That doesn't, that's, that's no reason to deflect our attention. But really, what's giving rise to that is not selfishness. It's, it's, it's the truth of things that's giving rise to that. And as Mary Oliver said in one of her poems, till the truth of things take light, all news arrives from a distant land. Until the truth of things takes root. And that's the truth of things. That's the Buddha being manifested in us. We think it's our... You know, what do we think it is? I don't know what we think it is, but it isn't what you think it is. It's the Buddha. You can't uh, conceptualize that. You can only just access it and give it free, freewheeling space. Let it go. Let it move. Let it move into tenderness. Let it move into kindness. That's what we take our intentionality for. Not in what we're going to do to construct our lives, to make our potential work. That's not the way it works in this game. But to release and surrender to that mystical force in all of us. And give it free reins. Go. That's what, when we take refuge with the Buddha, we take refuge in the threads of our own Buddhism, in the threads of our own Buddhahood. And as we begin to experience that, many of us are very, have experienced that over and over again. And as you experience it coming forth on its own, free of our manipulative, our manipulation, you begin to, Understand that this mystery is driving itself, driving it. It's it's in control, not us. It's steering the car. And all around it, we're making faces and grimaces and getting discouraged about how our practice isn't working and how this, because we can't see it. Because we don't credit the seeing. The awareness. We don't credit what presence is. We miscredit the whole thing. Mistake the whole thing. We look at our inability to focus on our breath after all these years. (laughs) And get discouraged around that. Meanwhile, our heart is beating a warm glow. And so we begin to have faith and trust something beyond just the mechanics of the practice. The mechanics of the practice are, we need to know them. I'm not discouraging. We have to know the mechanics of the practice. There's no doubt, nothing, there's no doubt about that. But to think that that's all there is, is being able to focus our attention upon our breath, is to miss the landscape of this thing. We're taking refuge in something that we have no right to question. 
because your questions come from a very different place than that is guiding us. It's missing the point. And that's what we take refuge in. Not from being out of control, not in control. From the mystery, not the science. The heart, not the mind. Who are we to be discouraged about that? If we're discouraged, we're missing the landscape and not even noticing the discouragement, which is part of the landscape. The Buddha said, one who knows love, one who knows love is very close to the truth. One who knows love is very close to the truth. And we get sidetracked with character development. Character development has a tremendously important part to play. But if it becomes the fixation of our, of our intention, if it becomes the goal in and of itself, it's really a dead end. Let character develop as it will, given our intentionality towards something higher and much more profound than personality involvement. John Turant, who is a Zen teacher who was here in town this last weekend, hope some of you saw him, uh, said it like this. He said, character likes slowness and desires us to wait. That's patience. The development of character and integrity becomes our work and listening to the silence becomes our practice. In these ways, we align ourselves with the mystery that is always present and discover what is being asked of us on the deepest level. Not to lose sight. Yes, the character development provides a safe context for people. It provides a a sense of relaxation in others' company and with our own company. But we should always remember that at the deepest level, our attention should be towards the stillness, towards the source of the Buddhahood's thread. The thread of our awareness, the thread of our love, is pointing towards the source if we follow those threads, we'll follow them right back to the source. To full embodiment, full abiding in Buddhahood. And that's what I take refuge in. Perhaps I only know the thread, but all of us know that thread. Now just, tr- just take it wherever it takes us. And it, and it does. It, it takes us into the head long into the wall of our ignorance, our misunderstanding, our wrong view. And we wiggle a lot when that happens because it means giving up everything but the thread, the thread above all else. To this I am true. That's the intentionality, you see. It doesn't mean, again, that we don't get 
sidetracked. We will get sidetracked. We'll make mistakes. We'll falter. doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Because we can always begin again. That's reasserting the Buddhahood. Reasserting our potential. Not getting discouraged because we're so far. I've spent a whole week. I haven't even sat one time and all of that. Forget that. Because we can begin again. That's the forgiveness. That's the ultimate release from the torturous way that we treat ourselves. When we forgive, when we begin again, we're back on the thread. We're back holding the thread to Buddhahood. Forget all that other stuff. It's just a waste of time. The thread is what's important. Just keep walking, walking it. And it gets, like the metaphor I use, a fisherman who has a lot of line. and The fish is on the line, but there's a lot of play in the line. And for a long time we can have quite a journey, be hooked in the Dharma, but have a lot of leeway to float and to move as we wish until the fisherman begins to reel in the fish and the line tightens and the amount of slack decreases and the range on which we can float and move also narrows and suddenly that intentionality is the only thing that matters to us. We want it above all else. And just fanning that urgency, letting that urgency, but how do we do it? By accessing it and doing it. There's no other way. We can't think about it. We can't play with it. We can't talk about it. We can't read about it. All those have their points, but that's not what satisfies the urgency. What satisfies the urgency is holding on that thread and just going with it. That's what it means to take refuge in the Buddha. And to take refuge in the Dharma. The first, I think the most important component of both taking refuge in the Buddha and taking refuge in the Dharma is knowing that nothing inherently is wrong. Inherently. Now, inevitably when I make that statement, hands raise and say, well, what about tsunami waves and Adolf Hitler? How can I include that? Because the heart demands that you include that. Because it's an all or none. And so, it doesn't mean that it doesn't draw our hearts out. It does draw our hearts out. But it doesn't draw our reactivity of it being wrong. And so we clear-faced, clear-eyed move in the direction that we need to move. But not with the intense righteous rage from which most of us move. So to take refuge in the Dharma is to take refuge in the way things are. 
in reality. And saying, it's another way of saying that reality is friendly and that I have to align where I've lost the thread because where I've lost the thread is the way I want reality. It's not my Buddhahood that wants reality to be different. If I hold on to the thread, I am directed towards the reality. So my Buddhahood meets, my refuge in the Buddhahood meets the refuge of the Dharma head on. And I take refuge in the Dharma is to take refuge in the fact that things are inherently safe, inherently together, inherently interconnected, and inherently good. And I don't mean good as opposed to bad. I mean basic goodness. And that all the facts in my life, I must orient them to. That's taking refuge in the Dharma is to say, okay, this, yes, Okay, this is it. This is what we've got here. This is it. To willingness to face ourselves. And if we are not taking refuge in our Buddha, Buddha nature, so to speak, then we will face reality and our inability and our... Um, unsettled quality with our own reality by wanting to change ourselves and change reality. Either we want to change ourselves or we change, so we want to manipulate the whole thing again. So we have to be clear clear and aligned with the fact that we are complete as we are. And let me look at and see where it is that I think of myself as being incomplete and, and distorted. And let me look at that. But if I look, how I look at it that's what's important because if I look at it from Buddhahood, it means I will bring the awareness and affection to it that it deserves. If I look at it from me, then I'm going to be troubled and, and disturbed and wanting to modify and change. So I bring to the Dharma, the way things are, the truth of me. I have to meet the, the Dharma with the truth of me with the warmth and awareness and allowance that it deserves. Relax, observe, and allow. That's the Buddha thread. So taking refuge in the Dharma is taking refuge really in the confluence of really the taking refuge in one and the same thing. Taking refuge in the Buddha is taking refuge in the Dharma. Taking refuge in the Dharma is taking refuge in the Buddha. And it's just, it's because the only reason we think there are two is because we're meeting reality in a somewhat distorted you know, we're not meeting it like that. We're meeting it just a little bit off. And it has to be met like that. And then there's only one. He who meets and he who meets that are, and that which he who meets, those two things are the same. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on first? So we face reality with the Buddha within, with our, with our 
with our potential, with a thread. And the thread always says, meet this with awareness and warm-heartedness and allowance. Meet it that way. Okay. So I take refuge in the fact that I can do that and I know when I'm not doing that because I see the mind that's not doing that. That's okay. And so how do I meet the mind that's not doing that? I meet it with the Buddha. Okay. Okay. I see that. That is seen. That is seen. How big is the Buddha? How small, how, how little do we think it is? It has to fit into a thimble? It's worldwide. It's infinite. In the dreams of life, you see, that's the... As we evolve, as we move with our intention, we move through the dreams, the dreams of life. And the disappointment. We have to be willing to face all the disappointment, all the sense of lost hope. It's okay. It's not worth anything anyway. It was always mental. It was never here. It was never what was the actual situation. It was what I hoped, what I wanted, what I desired, what I feared. What good is that? So it marches us. Marches us through searching and altering and desiring and fearing and habit and conditioning and ambition and pursuit of happiness. Because those are the laws of being asleep. That's the laws of being asleep. When we're asleep, certain laws become apparent. In which the pursuit of happiness and desire and pleasure is the manifestation of that level of conscious evolution. Where separation is the, is the way we see the world. But as the, world, but as the consciousness evolves... The laws also evolve with that level of consciousness. And what then becomes important is not the protection and safeguard of the I and the me, but the communion of spirit, the interconnection. The outward manifestation mirrors the inward understanding. And so then the refu- taking refuge in the Sangha we begin to understand how taking refuge in the Sangha is, is the, the, it manifests as the understanding of that communion, of the truth of interconnection, of affection, of kindness, of caring, of sensitivity, of generosity. Something I'd like to read, um, a friend of mine wrote, and 
Jack Engler. He said, one of the biggest differences between Buddhism's host cultures and our own is that we place such a fierce emphasis on individual achievement. In some ways, this helps. In other ways, this hurts. It can help fostering self-reliance and being a light unto oneself. At the same time, that spirit can make it difficult to foster community or interdependence. Sangha, the third refuge, which is just as important as the first two. It's been easier to import the Buddha and the Dharma. Both travel well and fit into the ethos of self-reliance. But Sangha doesn't. It can't be imported. It has to be built and built in our own way. Without it, it is very hard to find the support we need for practice. This is one of our weak spots. We are only just beginning to establish Sangha in the West. In Asian cultures, at least until recently, so much is taken for granted and understood. Whereas in the West, we have to create a context for practice almost from scratch. We have plenty of work to do if we are going to make it happen. So we don't have it. I mean, especially in this area, self-reliance is such a strong ethos. And given also the fact that most people who are attracted to meditative or reflective uh, practices are um, introverted. And getting together isn't the natural accommodation. But something else drives this thing. The thread drives it. And we see that there's only so much that we can see in and of ourselves. We need other eyes. We need as many eyes as we can to help us in keeping hold of that thread. And Sangha becomes one of the real beauties of the path. One of the real um, support systems. And when we uh, sit with the Sangha, we really do his sit with the histori- history, uh, the, with the lineage. It's, we sit with the descent of the wise in our midst. The, the wise descends. Into, that is not um, just hogwash. It's, in fact, American Indians um, would often go to their old ceremonial grounds and dance upon their forefathers, uh, because it allowed their forefathers to join the dance with them. Not in fantasy, but in fact. Because they didn't hold the time scales the way we hold them. When they danced, they danced equally in the past as in the present. And when we sit, that timelessness, we join all who have sat before us. What do you think? It's just held January 11th? It's nonsense. And we also realize that we are not going to be overwhelmed with our suffering if we follow that thread. And there's a tremendous sense of conviction and confidence that comes in taking refuge in the Sangha. The gathering of like-minded people. We have to find them. And this calls forth the flame, the light of truth calls for all of our attention forth. We all gather together. Why do we come? 
certainly not for the talk. <laughs> I don't. Or maybe you do, I don't know. But there must be more to it if the whole thing is to be engaged. If the, we, have to, we can't just engage the Buddha's head. We engage the whole, we take refuge in the whole of the Buddha. And the, and the whole of the body of the Buddha. All its arms and digits and toes. The lineage. When two or three are gathered in my name, said Christ. It's interesting, one of the worst crimes that, uh, according to the monks, um, litany of, of um, transgressions, the, right up there with uh, killing someone, is fracturing the Sangha. It's, th- it's held in that high esteem. So we awaken ourselves through the support of other people. We awaken because the evolution of us all is towards the threads of Buddhahood. Then there is a evolution also of safety with each other and relaxation within that safety. And the spirit of inquiry within that relaxation so that we can ask questions that are poignant and meaningful that we don't have in our normal everyday life an opportunity to ask. And we find um, encouragement in just being in the company of others because our commitment and our discouragement waxes and wanes. But when we look across the hall and we see someone we did the beginning class with who's sitting there, we think, well, may, all right, well, maybe I can do it. I, we begin, we, we, what surfaces is the thread once more? To bring everyone along is the Bodhisattva vow. To bring everyone along. At a certain point in uh, teaching, you know, you I just uh, I was wa- I was just wa- at IMS. We, there were three of us teaching. And uh, we'd have interviews. That all, you know, you would just sit there and watch people get up and walk into this room and another person get up and walk into that room and another person get up and walk in here. And it was just interfacing pain all day long. This person was bringing their pain. It was just, and, and then they would leave and the next, and it was just sitting there all day long. Just the next moment of pain. And you, you shake your head and say, what got me into this work? <laughs> It wasn't well thought out. 
I don't know. But it's, um, it has something to do with that we're all in this together. And I know something that most people don't know, I think. And that makes all the difference. And so we gather to reinforce that we all know that. We just are too doubting to validate it. And yet, uh, kindly we can look through someone's doubt and reinforce that knowing. That's the, those are the eyes of often, those are the authentic eyes of the Sangha. And because the evolution of consciousness is an evolution, you still have a lot of stuff that gets in the way of that clarity of seeing. Because what is absolutely necessary for all of us is to go back in to our ignorance and do whatever work is necessary so that we can come be drawn back out cleaner and clearer. So we don't begrudge the time we're asleep. The time we're asleep, we're working in a way that as we bring more conscious attention to it, speeds itself and the process of that evolution. But relationships being what it may, you know, there's ups and downs and swings, and we look. That's part of the whole process of being together. So that's what, when we take refuge in the sangha. Let us remember that it really doesn't have to do with time and. It's not hard work. You just this is what's arising. Everybody's arising together in this moment. So here we are. So let's just do what we can to make each other's trip as helpful and as successful as possible. That's all. No big deal. So we take refuge in the Buddha. And we take refuge in the Dharma. And we take refuge in the Sangha. And we hold the thread. And we keep the intention of our life. Thank you.